Welcome back. We're continuing our study about Jesus, and we're going to look at a topic about him that a lot of people don't really think about much, and that's the fact that not only is he our Savior, but he is also the judge of all mankind. Uh, whether we're a saint or a sinner, everyone is going to stand before Jesus one day and be judged uh, in different ways, of course, but still be judged. And as we go through this topic, I hope that uh, it'll open up your eyes. It'll give you some insight uh, as you share the gospel with people. Uh, and also as we look at our own lives and how we live before the Lord, because we want to make sure that we're ready to see him face to face. So, Let's get into the Bible and look at Jesus, the judge. When people talk about heaven, talk about death, talk about judgment, I think it's safe to say that most people think that they're going to stand before God for judgment. And you hear people talk this way quite often where it'll be... Um, You'll ask somebody if, if they believe that they're going to go to heaven when they die, and they'll make the comment, well, yeah, I believe in God. Or one of the ones that I don't hear as frequently anymore, but I used to hear fairly regularly was, oh, yeah, I'm good with the man upstairs. And that's a very, you know, um, light perspective of, of God, you know, the man upstairs. Uh, but that mindset of, yeah, I think, I think I'm in good standing. I'm better than most people. And I think I'll make the, make the judgment curve and I'll, I'll go to heaven. Uh, I've even heard pastors and evangelists and, and Christians as a whole uh, say things like, you know, when you die and you stand before God, he's only going to ask you one question as to why he should let you into heaven. And that's, did you know my son? And that preaches well and it sounds good, but that's not true. I think what people fail to realize is that when we face judgment, when we stand before the Lord, we're not going to be standing before God the Father and being judged. Because Jesus tells us, and this is what we'll study today, it's God the Son Jesus himself, that every human being will stand before to be judged. And that really, really brings a, a focus into what it means to be saved and what it means to be right before God. Because when we say, well, yeah, I believe in God. What God? What, who, who is God? What does that mean? But when we say Jesus, and I've put my hope in Jesus, everything comes to a focal point where it's made or broken right there at Christ. It's him. So let's look at John chapter 5. And we're going to basically read verses 21 through 29. And see what Jesus has to say about his authority to judge humanity. So listen to what Jesus says. And this is after he's done some healing on the Sabbath and, and the, the religious elite are upset with him because he's, in their minds, breaking the Sabbath and such. 
And he says, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He who does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus is making it very clear, the Father isn't going to judge people. Jesus is going to judge. And when we read this passage, do you notice how much it focuses on the unity between the Father and the Son, the relationship between them, and words that are used over and over again, life, death, judgment, authority, belief, hears. And these are all essential in being in right standing before the Lord when we face Him. The Father and the Son have life in themselves, They are self-existing. They're not dependent on anybody or anything for their existence. That's why when Moses uh, asked the Lord, Yahweh, uh, who should I say sent me when I go to, to the children of Israel in Egypt, God says, I am that I am has sent you. It's a play on the name Yahweh. And the Lord says, the all-sufficient, self-sufficient one is the one who's sending you. So that's the focus here is that Jesus and the Father don't need anybody. They are the givers of life, the sustainers of life, physically, spiritually, and eternally. That's important to keep in mind. And Jesus says, he gives life to whomever he wills. So who's the one who he gives life to? Who's the recipient? Well, Jesus tells us. First of all, it's the person who hears his word, right? Now, it doesn't mean to hear it audibly. The word there means to pay attention to and habitually listen with the intent to apply. Okay, that's, that's what that word means in Greek. That's the grammar of it. So it's hearing what Jesus has to say and then putting it into practice. And then Jesus also says it's the one who believes the Father. 
not believes in the Father, but believes the Father. So that being the case, this is the person who believes what the Father says and testifies concerning the Son. Jesus' baptism, the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the Father says, this is my beloved Son, hear him. Same type of use of the word hear. And he's telling James, John, and Peter, you listen to my Son. Jesus tells us a little bit later in chapter 5 here in John that the works that he does, God testifies of who Jesus is through the works that Jesus does and through the word of God, the Father testifies as to who Jesus is. So it's this joint thing between hearing what Jesus says, believing what Jesus says, doing what Jesus says, and believing what the Father says about the Son. And Jesus makes it really clear, whoever honors the Son honors the Father. Whoever doesn't honor the Son doesn't honor the Father. And I think this is really key when we're talking with people, because there's a lot of folks that don't have an issue with God and believing in God, but they don't want to follow Jesus. Um, my dad, you know, that was the biggest issue that he had was Jesus. He believed in God. He believed in creation. He said it's the only thing that makes sense. And he was a very intellectual man. But the stumbling block came down to Jesus. It just didn't make sense to him. Uh, he ended up, God uh, really just kind of confronted him one day and uh, made it realize that, yes, Jesus is alive and well. And my dad gave his life to Christ and uh, was a completely new man. But that was the stumbling block, was Jesus. And there's a lot of people out there that say, yeah, I love God. I believe God. But they will not honor the Son. They will not follow the Son. Or they'll follow a different Jesus than who the Father reveals in Scripture. We can't say we love God and not love his Son. It doesn't work. So Jesus has the authority over life. And he has the authority to judge. That's what he's telling us here. All judgment has been given to him. And there's two reasons that Jesus gives here. The first one is so that he will be honored the way that the Father is honored. Remember that Jesus was with the Father before his incarnation, and we're told in the scriptures that he laid aside his heavenly glory. He willfully put aside his power, his splendor, his position, and he humbled himself and became just uh, wrapped in human flesh. God and man fused together in the person of Jesus. Can you imagine laying aside all that power and glory for a body like this? That's amazing. But Jesus did that. And the fact that Jesus not only took on a body of flesh and blood and lived as we live, but then 
gave his life as a sacrifice for us. He deserves to be honored. He deserves to be exalted to where the word of God says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, Kyrios in the Greek, the same word that's used for Yahweh in the Old Testament, to the glory of the Father. So they're going to be looking at Jesus and honoring Jesus, and it's going to bring glory to the Father. And I don't understand how that all works, but the Father and the Son, their glory is, is tied together. Okay? That's the first reason. The second reason is Jesus says he has the authority to judge because he's the Son of Man. You ever hear the saying, never judge a person until you've walked a mile in their shoes? You get a different perspective when you walk in their shoes. Jesus did that, didn't he? He walked in our shoes for about 33 years. He knows what it's like to be human. And because of this, he is able to judge humanity from a first-hand understanding. Nobody's ever going to be able to stand before Jesus and go, you can't judge me according to that. You have no idea how difficult life is. You have no idea what it's like to suffer. You have no idea what it's like just to get by from day to day. You don't know what it's like to be offended or hurt or maligned. And Jesus, that, that kind of response just won't wash because he does know. And that's why he's our judge and our high priest. The high priest, because of his humanity, was able to minister on behalf of the people with humility and understanding and compassion. And that's how Jesus is our intercessor and our intermediary with the Father. That's why he has the authority to judge. He paid the price. He made everything possible for us to have right standing before God the Father. And that's why he can be the one to judge us. So this idea that God will say, um, did you know my son? It's not, that doesn't wash. It's Jesus that we stand before. And what I want to look at for the rest of our time together are three judgments that Jesus presides over. The first one we find in Matthew 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. And this is the familiar sheep and the goats judgment. But as we look at this, I want us to pay very careful attention as to the time frame, the people involved, what they're being judged for, and the outcome of it, okay? Because this is going to set up what we're going to look at in Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne of judgment. And a lot of times people confuse these two as being the same judgment. They're not. And we'll see why, okay? So chapter 25 Verse 31, and we'll break this down as we go through it. When the Son of Man comes, 
Okay, so when is the Son of Man going to come? He's going to come after, when he comes back, the second coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation. Okay, he's going to return to the earth in his glory and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now let's keep the context. The book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, was written to Jews. So everything in it has Jewish imagery, Jewish understanding, and that's how the audience is going to read it. When it says Jesus is going to judge the nations from the Jewish mindset, that is the Gentiles, not the Jews. Okay? So this is all the Gentile nations of the world are now standing before Jesus when he comes back to earth. And he separates the sheep from the goats. Verse 33, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For when I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we, or when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Now, again, from a Jewish perspective, the brothers are not Christians, the church, but these are the Jewish brethren. Jesus called them his brothers. He was a Jew. And if you look at it from the perspective of the tribulation, you have people, and it's not saying that you're saved by works, okay? But when you look at the tribulation, it is a time that the scriptures call Jacob's trouble. It's a time when Israel is the focal point and there is intense wrath from Satan against the nation of Israel. And there is a remnant of believers that make it through believing Jews. And what a lot of scholars, most scholars see here, and I agree with it, is that for those who are in the tribulation and are taking care of God's people against you know, everything that the enemy is trying to do against God's people, the Jews, and the believing Jews, especially the remnant, that they are going to be Rewarded. These are people who are going to oppose the beast in caring for the people of God. And so Jesus says, you're blessed by my father. Come and enter into the kingdom. Verse 41, 
Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, did, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer and say to them, saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's the first judgment. Now let's look at Revelation chapter 20 and see the differences between the two. This is the great white throne of judgment. And to give the backdrop, backdrop of it, this is at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. Jesus has already come back to the earth. He has already, the battle of Armageddon has happened. He has cast the, the, uh, the beast and the false prophet into the abyss. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus has thrown, um, or the angel has thrown Satan into the abyss. The, and I'm sorry, the uh, false prophet and the, the beast went directly to hell, one-way ticket there. And so this is at the end of that millennial reign when the Lord allows Satan to come out of the abyss. And at this time, you have Satan deceiving the, the people of the world and bringing those to himself who want to try to rebel against Jesus. Now, for me, it's kind of like, okay, how can you be so stupid after everything that the Lord has done, after the battle of Armageddon, being in the abyss, all of that stuff, why would you try to go against Jesus again? And remember, Satan's mindset is to just ruin and destroy everything he can destroy, to kill, to steal. That's his ambition. And he'll take as many people with him as he can, and that's what he wants to do. So he leads this revolt again. And what we're told is that fire comes down from heaven and wipes everybody out. And Satan is thrown into hell. And that's the end of it. He's gone. So that's the backdrop. The first one in Matthew, Jesus comes. This is after he's already come, after Satan has been in prison for a thousand years, released, and then another rebellion and Jesus just finishes it once and for all. And in light of that, this is what we see here. Look at the differences. Verse 15 of chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. So Matthew 25, Jesus just assembles all the nations before him and judges accordingly. Here, it's the dead. And there has just been a bunch of people wiped out who rebelled with Satan. But the sea, 
and the graves and death and Hades are all releasing the dead to stand before the great white throne of judgment. And it goes on to say, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written, found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So Matthew 25, what you did or did not do in relationship to my brethren. Revelation chapter 20, whether or not your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Different judgments. And if you listen to it at first, you might say, well, it sure sounds like we're judged by what we do, our works, whether they're good or bad. I believe it's in the book of Matthew where some people ask Jesus, Lord, what must we do to do the works of God? What's going to get us saved? And Jesus replies to them, this is the work of God, to believe in his son whom he has sent. That's it. And the Bible tells us over and over and over again that our salvation is by faith. It's by belief in Christ. But if anybody has the gumption, and they will, we do now, to stand before God and do a list of all our works and all of our deeds, everything is recorded. And those books will be opened, and anybody who is judged at the great white throne of judgment, everything that they've done is there for inspection. Oh, you're good enough to come to heaven? Let's take a look. Boom. Your name isn't written in the Lamb's book of life. And they face the lake of fire, eternal judgment and torment with Satan and his angels and the beast and the false prophet. And that's so difficult for, for us, I think. I know for me it is because it's like, that seems so extreme. But the Bible tells us that hell was made for Satan and his angels. But what do you do with people who refuse to follow the Lord? Who refuse to take the gift of salvation purchased by the blood of the Son of God, it's, it's not difficult to get to heaven. You just take a gift. But it's a matter of whether or not we're willing to receive that gift. You ever, you ever try to help somebody out? You knew they had a need, and it was a big need maybe, and you try to meet that need and help, and they're too proud to accept it? They'd rather stay in the situation that they are than to admit that they need help and humble themselves. The situation that they remain in is because of their own choice. And so it is with the gospel. Jesus did everything. Whether or not somebody wants to take it, that's in their court. 
It's not that complicated. The smallest child, the oldest adult, somebody who is an intellectual genius, or somebody who is just pretty average or less than average intelligence, everybody can grasp the concept that we're sinners, we're going to face judgment, God loves us, so he sent his son to pay for our sins and to give us his righteousness in exchange if we just receive it and give our lives to him. Pretty simple. So those are the, the two judgments that, that the world is going to have to face. There's a judgment that Christians have to face too. This is standing before the Bema seat. And the Bema seat is best known in the Olympic Games, okay, the ancient Olympic Games. And it was the throne where after the people competed in an athletic event, they would go and they would stand before the Bema seat. And it would be judged as to whether or not, number one, they competed according to the rules. Did they do what they were supposed to do? Paul talks about this, right? When we run the race, we run according to the rules. And then where did they place? Were they first, second, third, fourth, fifth? And they are rewarded accordingly. And the word of God tells us that every believer is going to stand before the Bema seat. And we will have our actions and our deeds judged. This is not for salvation, but it's for reward. Remember Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where thieves do not steal, moths don't eat, and they don't rust, they last. And he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And Jesus encourages us to pursue eternal rewards. Not that the things of this life are bad, but we can get so wrapped up in the things of this life where we're not really preparing for the next. And, you know, you, you see people, and again, I'm not, I'm not dissing retirement or anything like that, okay? Uh, it's wise to prepare and plan for retirement and such. But how much time and effort and investment do we make in our eternal retirement? We can have huge IRAs and bank accounts and properties and all sorts of stuff, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if we're not laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven, we're going to lose it all. And we'll see that in just a minute as we look at 1 Corinthians. But Jesus tells us to invest in our eternal life. Because it's going to be, this life that we live is going to be judged. Over in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, the Bema seat here is called the Bema seat of God. Verse 10, chapter 14 of Romans. And listen to the context as we go through this. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the Bema seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, 
and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Remember, Jesus said he's the one who does the judging, God the Son. But do you notice what he's saying here? The believers were at each other. They were judging each other. They were looking down on each other. Some, some believers were having some real struggles with, can you eat meat sacrificed to idols? Can you do that? Because the idols are demons and we're not supposed to worship demons and that's a pagan practice. And there, were, there was a lot of judgment going on where of, well, you know, you're just spiritually weak and immature because you won't have a stake that was purchased at the temple of Athena. And remember, when you had the markets and stuff, a lot of the, the meat and the foods had been sacrifices to the pagan gods. So you had that end of it, but then you had the others who would not eat. And they're like, you know what, you guys are just so carnal because you're eating food that was dedicated to the gods. And there was this back and forth animosity and even looking down and despising one another because of food and drink. Even the day that you worshipped. And Paul deals with those things in the book of Romans. And this is not to say that we're not supposed to judge. Again, the Bible makes it really clear we are. This is talking about being judgmental. This is talking about looking down on somebody else from a mindset of, I'm superior to you. I'm more holy. I'm freer. I'm more spiritually mature than you are. I'm more righteous. I'm more in tune with God. And the list can go on, right? And we've, we've seen that. If, if you've been in church long enough, uh, either you've done this or you've been around people who do it, and you're judged or we judge and we look down on other people. COVID, when that hit, churches, that was a big issue within churches where people were judging one another and being judgmental. You don't care about other people. You're unloving. Well, you're caving to the authority of the, the government and blah, 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 and back and forth. And looking down on each other and despising each other over a vaccine. How do we get there? That's the kind of thing that is being talked about in here. When the Bible tells us to judge, if we see our brother or sister in sin, we're supposed to, out of love for them, go to them and say, hey, can I help you with this? I'm, I'm seeing this. I care about you. I love you. I don't want you to, to have your life and your relationship with the Lord hindered or, or uh impacted negatively what can I do for you and Jesus says when we do judge we need to look at ourselves right look at the plank that's in our own eye before we try to deal with the speck that's in our brother's eye Jesus doesn't say don't deal with that issue it's just you need to make sure that you're looking at yourself first and Paul talks about how when you when you correct a brother in the Lord you do it with compassion and humility because you're susceptible to the same stuff. 
So we're supposed to judge but not be judgmental. And what we're told here in Romans is one day we're going to stand before the Lord at the Bema seat and he will judge us for being judgmental, for looking down on our brothers and sisters. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to face that kind of judgment. In 2 Corinthians, it's referred to as the Bema seat of Christ. And this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. And this is about what our aim should be as far as our relationship with the Lord is. Paul says, verse 9, chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, So whether we are at home, that means with the Lord, or away, that's the context, not with the Lord, okay? We make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat, the bema seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. He's talking to believers here. Our aim is to please the Lord. Whether we're with the Lord, we've died and we're with him, or we're still here in the body, the aim is the same. Now, if you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, these things are brought up as far as that judgment and how it looks. Chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, and then we'll begin in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. And this is where the people in Corinth were being divided and judging each other and stuff because some were saying, well, I follow Apollos. Well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Peter. Well, I follow Jesus. And, you know, I mean, denominationalism right there for century church. It's like, okay, they're already divided and going, going sideways here. So this is what he's referring to. And he says, someone else is building upon it. It might be Apollos. It might be Peter. Let each one... Take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. First thing right there. If we try to build a relationship and salvation upon anything or anybody than Jesus Christ, we have a bad foundation. It's going to fall apart. It will not stand. Christ is the foundation, and we need to be careful about how we build upon that foundation. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built upon the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So it's not a loss of salvation being talked about here. It's a loss of reward. Later on in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it's talking about uh, the love, Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. I'm just noise. If I give everything that I have 
to the poor. But my motivation isn't love. It means nothing. If I give my body to be burned and I'm a martyr, but the motivation isn't love, it profits me nothing. We can do a lot of stuff. We can even serve the Lord in church and outside the church, but have the wrong motives. It might be that we want to feel important or needed. Maybe we feel like we need to earn our salvation so we're laboring for it. There's all manner of reasons that we can do good things for wrong reasons. And those things will be weighed out. And if it's gold, silver, or precious stones, stuff that can pass through fire, judgment, there'll be a reward. But if it's wood, hay, and stubble, stuff that's burned up, there's not going to be anything to show for it when we enter into eternity. That's why Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourself stuff that will last because everything will be tried. And we need to be careful of that. Why do we do what we do for the Lord? Do we do things for the Lord? The way we engage each other in our homes, in the church, in our families, in the workplace, all of the things that we do, the Lord will judge. And we want to live in a way that will please him. If I'm, a, if I'm a man who seeks to please the Lord in the way I treat my wife, I will be blessed by God. I will be blessed by my wife. And my children will be blessed. If I'm a man who seeks to please the Lord in the way I treat my children, I will be blessed, they will be blessed, my wife will be blessed. If I seek to please God in the workplace, my employer is blessed. I am blessed. Hopefully, if not by them, by God, he will see. You know, uh, Joseph had some issues with that in Potiphar and Potiphar's wife and whatnot. But uh, God saw, God rewarded, God blessed. How do we live? We need to ask this because we don't know what a day may bring. I don't know if I'm going to make it to see tomorrow. Nothing is for certain except that one day we will face the Lord and we will have an eternal destination. And I want to be ready to face my Savior now. I can't afford to put it off because I may not have tomorrow. And I think we really need to keep that in mind. So I leave you with this. Three things. Every single human being will stand before Jesus to be judged. With that in mind, when we're talking to people about the gospel... When we're talking about heaven, when we're talking about judgment, when we're talking about eternal life, we need to be very clear to people that it's Jesus that they're going to be standing before. Not God, whoever that may be to them. It is God the Son specifically. Because we owe it to them. Now Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven, in heaven and on earth. This is Matthew. All authority has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Because all authority has been given to him, 
He's given us the Great Commission. And we need to let people know that he's the one they have to deal with. There is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved other than Jesus Christ. For us as believers, let us live to please our Savior. Because when we do, we will be rewarded now and in eternity. And those around us, whether they realize it or not, whether or not they re reciprocate it, they will be blessed as we seek to live our lives and treat them in a manner that pleases our Lord. Amen.